Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. I'm the lead pastor here, and it is so good to see everyone here. We've got new faces. We have uh, familiar faces. It's so good to see everybody here. Our church is full today. It makes my heart smile. Uh, thank you, everybody, for coming out. Uh, we want to welcome you. If uh, Just say thanks for being here. Our goal today, we just want you to sit back and relax. Well, don't open those sodas yet. I heard a couple of those little clicks. We're going to open them together in just a second. But uh, we want you to enjoy yourself and to experience the presence of God. We believe that he is, he is just here and we can know him. And so that's our, our goal for you today is just to experience him and then leave this place feeling challenged and encouraged. Uh, if you're new to Encounter, if this is your first time or uh, maybe you've been coming like a week or so, uh, we want to say thanks for coming. We have been expecting you. We've designed so many elements of the service to welcome you uh, and to make you feel comfortable. We'd love to meet you. We'd love to get to know you. In fact, we have a gift for you, uh, a special movie night pack that we've created just for you if you're a guest, a first-time guest. Uh, It has a code for a one-night Redbox uh, rental as well as a bag of popcorn, and you can grab that at our Connection Center in the lobby. So as soon as you go out the door, turn left, and uh, one of our guest service hosts, one of these lovely individuals here, would be happy to greet you, begin a conversation with you, get to know you, and uh, welcome you. You can get that free gift. Uh, One of the things that we want to do, make sure everybody knows at our church, is that uh, we do everything we do is centered around this idea of encountering God in real life. Encountering God in real life. What does that mean? You're like, that's a fancy little tagline. No, it's, it's everything we do centers around that. We believe that we are normal people. We live normal lives. We have jobs. We have families. All those normal things. But we just believe that God is knowable and that he can impact us and we can know him and experience him every day, whether we're on the way to work, whether we're at church, whether we're reading a book, where we're driving you know, on the turnpike or hiking in the mountains. It doesn't matter. God is there and we can know him. So we want to encounter him in real life. So the way we worship, the way we teach, the way we do life groups, the way we serve our communities and around the world is all around that idea. So we want to invite you into that process with us. And one of the things that we love to do is stay connected as a family. And so one of the best ways to do that is to fill out a connection card. So right in front of your seat is a pocket with a uh, connection card. It's a white and orange uh, card. If you could pull that out and wave it at me, let me see if y'all have it. Right now, nobody has it. Our back one, they're good. Wave them, good. Go ahead and take some time to begin filling that out. That connection card is what allows us to be able to get to know you and to get you the information that you need and the relationships connected to the relationships that you need in your life because we want to help each other in our journey of faith. Everything on there is confidential, so you don't have to worry. We're not going to give information away. We're not going to sell it to Google or anything. It's just so we can put it into our system so we know that you are here. And then on the back of that card is a very important space. It's a prayer request spot. We want to pray with you. There's something going on in your life, something that's happening that you would love for the leadership team of our church to stand with you. Uh, together and partner with you in prayer, we would love for you to fill that out. And it's completely confidential. We're not going to share it with anyone, but please be confident in knowing that our leadership team prays over these every week. And we would love to hear praise reports. If God answers a prayer, if something happens in your life, even if it's not related to that particular prayer, put it down. We'd love to celebrate with you as well. So go ahead and fill that out. Take some time to fill that out. And when you came in this morning, you should have received a survey as well. Uh, If you would, please fill that out. We want to be creative as well. We know there are people all in our church who have a variety of creative outlets and talents and skills and passions. We would love to find ways to incorporate things 
things that you love to do into the church because that's the body of Christ. Every person doing their part, and we'd love to incorporate a variety of things. So if there's something like that, please fill it out and then drop the connection card as well as the survey in the baskets as they come by uh, after the message during our giving moment. Um, we're going to go ahead and have a couple quick announcements. Oh, they're down here. Uh, that I mentioned, uh, some of it was on the video, but uh, just real quick, some things that are coming up. We talked about how we're going to be moving to a new location. We are so excited about this. Uh, one of the big things we want to let you know is that on that day, October 1st, we're having food day. This is something that we did once a month for the first about two years of our church's existence before we had to move into Row House. We haven't had the opportunity to do it because of space, but now we have the time and the space again. So what it'll be is every first Sunday of the month, beginning on the 1st, Every uh, first Sunday of the month, right after service, we're all going to just hang out at tables in the cafeteria there. We're going to eat food. We're asking everybody, if you can, to bring a side dish. If you are not able to, don't worry. You are still invited. Everyone is invited to food day. It's such a good time for us to get to know each other, eat some delicious food. And our life groups are going to be kind of handling a rotation of the different uh, items. So look for your life groups to give you specifically. But if you're not in a life group, just bring something to eat, and we're going to have a great time right after service on the first. Another thing we're super excited about is we mentioned that we're bringing back our nursery. We have a whole bunch of babies now in our church, and it's been really tough. And we appreciate you parents uh, working with us. We have not had the ability to have a nursery here because of the space limitations. But at our new facility, we're going to have lots of space. And so we're bringing a nursery back, and we're going to have a brand-new check-in system that we'll have as well so your kids are even more secure than they've ever been. And uh, we're even going to find a way to get the sound pumped in there so you can have the audio so you can hear and be a part of it if you're volunteering in the nursery. And speaking of volunteering, with this new change with the nursery as well as boosting our guest services with more space, we're looking for more people to step up and say, I'll help. If you're a parent and your kids are in our EC Kids, we would love for you to invest in the lives of your own kids for once a month. If you would consider, please, please, please talk to Christina Wecker, who's not here today, but uh, she will be back next week. Please talk to Christina. She does both guest services and EC Kids, so one person to talk to please consider serving in our church, on our dream team, in our nursery, in our EC kids, or in our guest services team, because we could use the help in our new space to make sure that all the people who are going to come from the neighborhoods have a wonderful, welcoming location for them, and that no one gets burned out. If we all pitch in together, everybody gets to work, and nobody gets you know, left behind with that. And uh, I think that's it. So oh, the last thing is that on the 29th, Friday the 29th, we're going to be moving all of our equipment out of this building and going over to the Neighborhood Academy. If anyone is available on uh, Friday the 29th at 3 o'clock, we're going to meet right here. So if you, don't, if you have a job that allows you to be flexible or you have time or the ability to take some time or something, uh, we're renting a U-Haul truck, and then we'll be right here, and then we're going to unload everything into the truck, and then we're going to take it to the Neighborhood Academy and unload, and the rest of it's going to go to one of the members of our church's uh, basement. So the 29th at 3 o'clock, meet here if you're available to help out with that. All right, enough of me rambling. We got some movie clips to watch and a sermon to hear. But before we do, uh, we are beginning our in the middle of our God in the Movies message series, which is a four-week series where we're exploring clips 
from some of the most popular movies of the year, and we're finding a way that God is speaking to us through those clips. We've uh, examined the movie Hacksaw Ridge. Last week, we talked about The Shack. Today is Zootopia, and next week, we're going to finish up with a movie called Hidden Figures. And the thing that I love about this is that it shows us that God is alive and he is working in our world. We can find truth everywhere. In movies, I kind of think that movies are the modern-day cathedrals, the movie theaters are. And so God can speak even in those places. And so we're believing that God's going to speak to us today. So we're going to go ahead and get started. And we do this tradition where we all open our sodas together to hear this awesome fizzy sound together. So on the count of three, let's open these up together. Y'all ready? One, two, three. My goodness, it never gets old. It doesn't. All right, let's roll the preview. Zootopia, a gleaming city where animals of all breeds, predator and prey alike, live together in peace and harmony. Hi, I'm Judy, your new neighbor. Yeah, well, we're loud. Don't expect us to apologize for it. ZPD's first rabbit officer, Judy Hopps. You ready to make the world a better place? Bad news in this city gripped by fear. What can you tell us about the animals that went savage? Are we safe? This is Priority One. Hops. Parking duty. (laughs) Sir, I'm not just some token bunny. You strike out, you resign. Deal. questions about a case. Then they should have gotten a real cop to solve it. You are under arrest. For what? Hurting your feelings? You are a key witness. No, he is. Hey, I need you to run a plate. All right, I know a guy. You need something done, he's on it. They're all slots? We are in a really big hurry. I am on it break. I have 36 hours left. We can only solve it together. It's not about how badly you want something. It's about what you are capable of. I am a real cop. Never let them see that they get to you. You bunnies. So emotional. No, no, no. no. Do not let go. I'm going to let go. What? We may be evolved, but deep down, we are still animals. Quit it. You're going to start a howl. For sure, we're a naturalist club. All the way down. Life's a little bit messy. We all make mistakes. No matter what type of animal you are, change starts with you. We gotta go. Whose car is it? The most feared crime boss, Mr. Big. All right, so how many of you have seen Zootopia? Let me see your hands. 
All right, most of us. So Zootopia is the 55th animated feature film from Walt Disney Animated Studios. And it actually became the si second highest grossing film from Disney behind Frozen. And uh, it was the fourth grossest high, sorry, fourth highest grossing film of 2016 and the highest rated film on Rotten Tomatoes all year. If you know what Rotten Tomatoes is, it's a, a, video, a movie review uh, site. It got an approval rating of 96%. So many people loved Zootopia for a whole lot of reasons. So Zootopia is a story about a bunny rabbit named Judy Hopps. I mean, you can't make this stuff up, right? That's animated movies. Judy Hopps, and she's from a rural town called Bunny Burrow. And she is working to fulfill her childhood dream of becoming a police officer in the huge city of Zootopia. And so the opening scene that we're going to watch is the opening scene of the film. And what it does is it actually articulates a cultural narrative to kind of start the movie out. Judy and a group of her friends are a Young, young kids, and they're putting on a play for their family, and the play is all about learning about where Zootopia came from. How did we get to where we are? A lot of movies start this way. They kind of give you the cultural narrative, and what you'll find in this opening clip is that the narrative of Zootopia and how the world is and how they see the world is actually very similar to our world as well, and that story that our, is the story that our world believes. So let's watch this first clip from Zootopia, and then we'll come back and look at how this connects with Scripture and see how it applies to us today. Let's take a look. Back then, the world was divided in two. Vicious predator or meek prey. But over time, we evolved and moved beyond our primitive savage ways. Now, predator and prey live in harmony. And every young mammal has multitudinous opportunities yeah, I don't have to cower in a herd anymore. Instead, I can be an astronaut. I don't have to be a lonely hunter anymore. Today, I can hunt for tax exemptions. I'm gonna be an actuary. And I can make the world a better place. I am going to be... That is the most stupidest thing I ever heard. It may seem impossible to small minds. I'm looking at you, Gideon Gray. But just 211 miles away stands the great city of Zootopia, where our ancestors first joined together in peace and declared that anyone can be anything! <laughs> All right, so this sets up really the whole theme of the film, that people used to be primitive, uh, that we used to attack each other, and now we have evolved into, um, you know, more and slowly and surely evolved out of that, right? And so we see it really all around us in our culture now. So think of the parallels here, right? The idea that if we could just get smarter, if we could just become more enlightened in our world, the more knowledge we have, science, I'm looking at you, um, you know, if, if we could just gather more knowledge, then we would start to live in harmony with each other better, right? The problem of our world is not that we're 
savage. The problem of the world is that we just don't know enough. And the smarter we get, the more knowledge we acquire, the better we'll be as human beings and live together better. But it actually touches on something that I consider a universal truth, both in the movie and in our lives, is that I think that all of us recognize that there is something wrong with the world that we live in. The very fact that, that, that people are living their lives trying to make things better says that all of us recognize that there is something happening in our world that is not correct. It's not the way that it is supposed to be and that there's something broken. Now, we can, we can disagree about what the cause of that is, right? We can also disagree about how to go about fixing it, how to find the wholeness that we all want, the healing that we want. We can even disagree on that, but we all agree, everyone around agrees that there's something wrong with the world that we live in, that it is not the way it is supposed to be, and that we're all longing for a zootopia, for a place where things are right. And so what we see all throughout the story of scripture is that This picture is also the picture that's painted for our world, that there is a problem and that there are things that are broken and that there is uh, something that we're searching for, that we're longing for, but the problem is what's called sin. And we long for things to be fixed and for all creation to be restored. And we see that in Scripture, excuse me, in Isaiah. During the period in the Old Testament where the Israelites were in exile in Babylon, they were uh, taken from their home. They were living in a country that was not their own. They were made slaves. They were forced to live under the rule of a foreign occupier, or of, I'm sorry, of a foreign dictator. And while they were there, their prophets of their old time, the prophets of, of the Israelites were dreaming of a day when things would be new, when things would be restored. They were dreaming of that, praying and asking God for a vision for what time would be like one day. And so it wasn't just about getting more knowledge. It wasn't just about becoming better people. For them, they understood that God was keenly involved. They recognized that the problem with the world was sin, that there was something happening. And so scripture paints a picture that our our entire world and that everything in it has been crippled by this concept of this sinful nature that lives inside all of us and wreaks havoc across everything. Everything that we see, all of our relationships, I, I, I believe things like hurricanes, and, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying the hurricanes are a result or of judgment. I'm saying that the things that we see, the devastation, the problems that we see in our world are a result of the fall of humanity. That there is a curse upon the world and that and it's constantly striving to get better. But just like we lash out, so does nature. All of these things happen because of the fall of, of the curse of sin. That's what the Bible paints this picture. And so the prophets longed for a day when God would send his Messiah to set it right again. Well, let's look at what the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 11 about what that day will be like when God breaks in and restores all things. This is very interesting. It's going to be on the screen here. We also have free Bibles. If anyone doesn't have a Bible, we have them down here at the front as well as our Connection Center. Please grab one. We would love to give you one, as well as these little uh, Learning to Follow Jesus books, this first seven-day guide to beginning a relationship with Jesus. I encourage you to pick those up. They're both free. Isaiah chapter 11. We're going to begin reading in verse 6. It says, The wolf will dwell with the lamb. And the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf, the young lion, and the fattened calf will be together, and a child will lead them. This sounds very different, doesn't it? The cow and the bear will graze. Their young ones will lie together, and the lion will eat straw like cattle. An infant will play beside the cobra's pit, and a toddler will put his hand into a snake's den. They will not harm or destroy each other on my entire holy mountain, for the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. 
I think that's so interesting, right? I mean, it's a, it's a weird picture. It's probably not something that you and I would necessarily dream up if we were under great tyranny, we were looking for the future, but they were an agricultural culture at the time. All they knew was animals and plants, right? And there was a very real problem that if they're lamb and then there was a lion nearby. So these are the problems they had to deal with. There were snakes everywhere and you had to worry about your kids. I mean, if you've been in the country, in the desert, you got to worry about snakes, right? So these are things that they understood. So when they're dreaming about the future and the Lord says to them, I will make it right one day, how does that translate? It translates into their minds of things like for us maybe, you know, and one day you'll go to work and there will be no traffic. And, you know, all of these kinds of things that we have problems with, right? Your boss will not ask you to cut corners anymore and, and whatever. All these different sort of things that, that, uh, that, would, that would be in our world. So the day that God finally and fully restores all things will look a lot like what we just saw in Zootopia, where animals and all creation will get along, where, where everything will feel right. There'll be goodness in the world, and we will all interact with each other in a way that God originally intended for things to be. And I think that this film does a great job of illustrating the dreams that we have for the world. We want things to be right. We see that there is great beauty in the world, but we also know that there are so many things that are wrong and there are limitations to our world. So Judy realizes the same thing when she arrives in Zootopia. So she gets there. She goes through officer training school. She becomes a police officer. She breaks the glass ceiling and becomes the first bunny police officer and, uh, and then she realized all of a sudden that things are not the way that she thought they would be. This perfect world that she thought existed, this beautiful world that she thought existed, kind of gets her hopes dashed. So she gets assigned to being a meter maid, a parking attendant. And so now she's frustrated with that. She's struggling with meaninglessness and, and loneliness. And then one day she sees Nick, a fox, who is swindling people out of their money and she gets overzealous and tries to arrest him. And through the course of their conversation, she ends up getting her hopes and her dreams dashed away. And she wants to do something about it. But this next clip shows an early conversation between Judy and Nick and some of those dreams being dashed. Let's watch this clip and then we'll come back and talk about it. Oh, right. Oh, right. Slick Nick, you're under arrest. Really? For what? Gee, I don't know. How about selling food without a permit? Transporting undeclared commerce across borough lines? False advertising? Permit? Receipt of declared commerce? And I didn't falsely advertise anything. Take care. You told that mouse the popsicle sticks were redwood. That's right. Redwood. With a space in the middle. Wood that is red. You can't touch me, Carrots. I've been doing this since I was born. You're going to want to refrain from calling me Carrots. My bad. I just naturally assumed you came from some little carrot choke podunk, no? Uh, no. Podunk is in Deerbrook County, and I grew up in Bunnyboro. Okay. Tell me if this story sounds familiar. Naive little hick with good grades and big ideas decides, hey, look at me, I'm going to move to Zootopia, where predators and prey live in harmony and sing kumbaya, only to find, whoopsie, we don't all get along. And that dream of becoming a big city cop? Double whoopsie. She's a meter maid. And whoopsie number three No one cares about her or her dreams. And soon enough, those dreams die, and our bunny sinks into emotional and literal squalor living in a box under a bridge, till finally she has no choice but to go back home with that cute, fuzzy, wuzzy little tail between her legs to become... You're from Bunny Burrow, is that what you said? So how about a carrot farmer? That sound about right? Harsh. All right, so what... When I watch that, what comes to my mind 
even with some of the debris and the alleyway and things, you got to stick with me here, is this is kind of a picture of sin, right? Now, I'm, stick with me, all right? You're probably thinking, Jared, I don't know that I watched Zootopia and saw what a beautiful, wonderful illustration of sinfulness uh, in this movie. And I get it, but stick with me. And here's, here's what I'm saying and why I'm saying this. Because I think it's helpful for us to understand what's really going on in the movie and in our world. When sin is described in Scripture, it's described like this. It is a disruption of the harmony that God created the world with. Sin is a disruption of the way that God created the world and the goodness that, that is intended for all of us. It's also a refusal to work with God to restore that harmony now that it's been broken. Okay, So, so sin in, in its description, there's nowhere you're going to find where that's literally what it says. The whole picture, the overarching concept of what is wrong with our world and why we do the things that we hate. Why do I yell at my wife? Why do we get speeding tickets? Why can't I stop doing these things? Why do I overeat? Why am I anxious about my money? All of the things that every one of us in this room have things flashing through their minds, right? What is wrong with our world? The Bible paints it as a picture of it is a disruption of the harmony that God created this world to be with and the goodness for all of us to experience. And it is also the refusal or the rebellion of each one of us to actually work with God to restore it. In our own lives, every time we choose what we want instead of what God designed, that is a refusal of restoring what God has called us to do. So the biblical concept of sin is not about breaking some arbitrary set of rules. Most of us have grown up, if you've grown up in maybe in Catholic backgrounds or, or maybe just any kind of legalistic environment where it was all about the rules, all about the things Instead, if, if that's where you go to, now you start to think, well, then what's the point? I mean, it's just about this. I can do this. I can't do that. It's not about the rules. It's about the essence. It's about, it's about the understanding of what God created everything for. And it's really about having a natural order. We talk about it all the time, the kingdom of God. God created the world to be lived in a certain way, certain principles, a certain physics of God's kingdom, if you will. And the more we live in that space, the more we participate in his kingdom, the more we begin to bring that lives are changed and then God starts to impact the world around us. We are participants of him restoring everything back to the way that it was supposed to be. And sin is when we rebel against all of that. I love how the theologian Cornelius Plantiga puts it. And I think what he's doing in this quote we're going to read here, it's a little bit of a long one, is the story of Scripture is really all about what we're about to read here, but it's also what we see happening in Zootopia as well. Here's what he says. The prophets knew that sin has a thousand faces. They knew how many ways human life can go wrong because they also knew how many ways human life can go right. These prophets kept dreaming of a time when God would put things right again. They dreamed of a new age in which human crookedness would straighten out. The foolish would be made wise and the wise made humble. They dreamed of a time when the deserts would bloom, when the mountains would run with wine. People would stop weeping and be able to sleep without a weapon under their pillow. People would work in peace and work to fruitful effect. A lamb, I love this, a lamb could lie down with a wolf because the wolf had lost its appetite. I think that's so good. The idea here is that what we see is there's a lot of good in our world. 
Like, this is not a doom and gloom message. We look and we see beauty. We see sunsets and sunrises. We see incredible mountains. We see uh, art and music, right? We see wonderful relationships, the birth of a child and raising your kids. And, okay, raising your kids can be both, you know, joyful and tyrannical. But it, it's both. It's all of these things are wonderful. And part of it is, is that because we see how things could be, our heart breaks when we see the things that are not the things that should be, because we have a taste of what is good, because we have a taste of, of what God has created the world to be like, we also see the flaws and the problems and the pain and the suffering in our world and the things that we experience. Sin has many faces, and we long for it to be made right as people, as they dreamed about in Scripture. So in the movie, when we see sin show up in Judy's life, it is not in this egregious sort of gratuitous way that we tend to think of, oh, you're living in sin. It must be. It shows up in small, subtle ways that actually affect all of us. It shows up the effects are things like loneliness. The effects are things like meaninglessness and a lack of purpose. She's frustrated with her job. Now, just because you're frustrated with your job doesn't mean that you're living in sin. What it means is you are feeling the effects of sin's presence in the world. And so Judy is struggling with this very thing. But as we get further into the movie, we see it become more obvious. And the brokenness of Zootopia actually becomes more into the forefront. So now Judy and Nick start investigating these mysterious attacks that are taking place in the perfect Zootopia. For years, for centuries now, predator and prey have lived together, but now all of a sudden there are violent attacks where the predators are reverting back to their savage ways and violently attacking the prey. And Judy and Nick have made a, uh, an important discovery that has kind of cracked the case open. They make their way back to the headquarters and try to share that, and then they put Judy on stage for a press conference to answer the questions. There's a lot of unrest in the city. Obviously, what's going on? Much like our world right now. We're searching for answers about all the things that are happening. We have questions. And when we try to be the answer, when we try to give the answers, oftentimes if they're misguided, we actually come face to face with our own problems. So Judy finds herself trying to answer the question that the city has. And what results is her limitations actually revealing some of her own prejudices. Let's watch this third clip. And then afterwards, we'll talk about what plays out on the screen. Crack the case. Officer Judy Hobbs. Officer Hobbs! Over here! What can you tell us about the animals that went savage? Well, the, the, an, the animals in question... Um, are they all different species? Yes. Yes, they are. Okay, so what is the connection? Oh, all we know is that they are all members of the predator family. So, predators are the only ones going savage? That is accurate. Yes, that is accurate, yes. Why? Why is this happening? We still don't know. How do you bring up that? Uh, it may have something to do with biology. What do you mean by that? A biological component, you know, something in their DNA. In their DNA? Can you elaborate on that, please? Yes. What I mean is, thousands of years ago, um, predators survived through their uh, aggressive hunting instincts. For whatever reason, they seem to be reverting back to their primitive savage ways. Yeah, of course. Oh, 
It is possible. So we must be vigilant. And we at the ZPD are prepared and are here to protect you. Have you considered a mandatory quarantine on predators? Okay, thank you, Officer Hops. Uh, that's all the time that we have. No more questions. Was I okay? Oh, you did fine. Oh, that went so fast. I didn't get a chance to mention you or say anything about how we... Oh, I think you said plenty. So as this continues to develop, we see here that the world is broken, that there is a future where things will be restored, sin shows up, Judy overreaches, and tries to be the self-appointed hero. And what we see here is some of our limitations that come when we try to be the one fixing things. Um, Sometimes when we step out to try to be good in the world, we actually come face to face with some of the limitations and the prejudices that we carry inside that we don't even really know about. Um, For some of us who think that human ingenuity uh, and doing good in the world is all that it takes to bring the kingdom of God to earth, we find in a clip like this or even in our own spaces that we are severely limited in our ability. Even our best efforts for us to be able to bring hope and bring life and bring healing to our world will always fail in some capacity if we try to do it alone. There are things that are lurking deep within inside of each one of us that often we aren't even aware of, and those things limit our ability to bring goodness and healing into the world. And over the past several years, I've actually come to realize that I had several blind spots in my own life, prejudices and stereotypical ways of thinking that I wasn't even aware that were there. And as a pastor, my desire has been to bring change, to bring influence, to bring life into uh, places that are dark, places where people feel as though they don't have life, places where they feel ostracized. And when I step out into a public space like a Judy on a press conference or maybe on a stage at church or on Facebook or any place that you might have have a conversation with someone who is different than you, I actually came face to face with several of my own false assumptions or things that I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that for years I, I thought a certain way or believed a certain way or just assumed something was the way that it was and it's not true. And what I would say to you is that that is just one example of the sinful nature alive and well in my life and that there are so many other areas that you and I are probably blind to. There are all sorts of ways that we think about the world, that we see the world through the lens of our experiences and the way that we've been raised, but are not the way that God sees things and the way that, not necessarily the way that they are. And it serves us as a reminder of just how broken we are and how broken our lives are and how incapable of bringing this healing to our world we are on our own. And this is why we need God to break in in the first place. The concept of restoration is all about God using people. It's all about God using people, but we are limited in our ability to do it on our own. The whole point of the church, the whole point of a person finding hope is not just salvation. It's so that we can extend that same hope to the rest of the world. If I have a friend who is hurting, who is lonely, I can now extend and give them something that, that is going to help them experience what I have. But I can't do it by myself. I have to give them and do it under the power of God. So Judy is the self-righteous type who thinks that she can do it all herself because of some vision that she had when she was a kid, this, this grandiose idea that if we just all get together and we decide to be nice to each other, that that'll be fine, 
And then that's okay and good, but it doesn't work for her. But then we see Nick, who is this disgruntled, jaded individual who has been hurt by his wounds, and he's just kind of given up on life. And I think that both of those pictures are kind of archetypes for the two types of Christians that we see in our world. What do I mean by that? Some of us are Judy's. Some of us in here are Judy's where we're social justice warriors, where we are the people who are like, if I just get out there and I serve the homeless and, I, and I, I'm involved in, in this campaign and I go on this trip and I go to this place and I do all of these good things, if I'm a good person and I'm a generous person, the thought is, is that just doing those things is going to bring the world to where we want it to be. But then there's the other person who the people who are like Nick's, people who maybe some of you in the room are like this to where you're like, you know what, I don't think that what I do really matters that much. I don't know that, that if, I make, if I serve at a, a soup kitchen that I'm changing anything. And so you kind of live this life as a Christian of, I'm glad that God found me, and I love people, but I don't, I'm not going to kid myself that most of what I do doesn't really matter. And so I'm just going to spend my life trying to enjoy my life, try to stay out of the fray, avoid conflict, and just try to enjoy myself. That's, that's the other side of it. And I would, I would pose it that both are insufficient responses if we truly are citizens of the kingdom of God. You see, we are called by God to be in our world, but also to recognize that we have limitations and that we need God's power and strength inside of us. We cannot just go and serve a homeless person. We have to serve the homeless person with the love of Jesus Christ and give them something. There are going to be days where you're going to be tired and not want to do it, but the only thing that's going to keep you pushing into the relationships that are difficult, that are going to keep pushing you towards family members who don't want to have a, a relationship with you, the people who are going to keep, it's going to keep pushing you towards resolving the conflicts with people you'd rather just give up on. It's going to push you to push into race relations. It's going to help you going past your own comfort zones. The only thing that's going to do that is a relationship with God. Because that's why we see the problems in our world never getting truly fixed is because people are trying to do it under their own strength. We are called to work and allow God through us, but also called to remember that we cannot bring about the kingdom on our own. So as we look towards the end of this film, as we're going to close up here in a few minutes, we see this story unfolding and there's a real evil at work. It's not just the mentality or just the idea of culture that's causing the problem. There is actually something happening that is causing all of this destruction. These people are murdering other animals. They're, they're going way out of their way and there's someone behind it. And there's a spoiler alert here. We actually find out who is behind all of this. Now, if you haven't seen this movie, I'm sorry, it's been like two years now. Judy and Nick have discovered what's really going on, and they found out who it is, and they're getting back to the police station to uncover the plot, but they get captured by this little sheep named Don Bellwether, who's actually the assistant mayor and is the grand evil person behind all of this. She's injecting these animals with a serum. So we're going to see in this last clip the evil that is at work and what her plot is about and how this collides with Judy and Nick trying to save the day. So let's watch this last clip, and then we're going to go pull this all together. Well, you should have just stayed on the carrot farm, huh? It really is too bad. I, I did like you. What are you going to do? Kill me? Oh, no, of course not. He is. No! Oh, Nick! Yes, police! There's a savage fox in the Natural History Museum. Officer Hobbs is down. Please hurry. No, Nick, don't do this. Fight it. Oh, but he can't help it. Can he? Since Preds are just biologically predisposed to be savages. 
gosh. Think of the headline. Hero cop killed by savage fox. So that's it. Prey fears predator and you stay in power? Yeah, pretty much. It won't work. Fear always works. And I'll dart every predator in Zootopia to keep it that way. Bye-bye, bunny. Blood, blood, blood! And death. All right, you know what, you're milking it. Besides, I think we got it. I think we got it. We got it up there. Thank you, Yakety Yak. You laid it all out beautifully. What? Yeah, oh, are, are you looking for the serum? Well, it's right here. Well, you've gotten the weapon there? Those are blueberries from my family's farm. Mwah. They are delicious. You should try some. <sighs> I framed Lionheart. I can frame you, too. It's my word against yours. Ooh, actually... And I'll dart every predator in Zootopia to keep it that way. It's your word against yours. It's called a hustle, sweetheart. Boom. So what we see in this clip is an animal that is usually a prey turning predator. And I think this is a symbol for what often happens in our own world and really continues this cycle that we see everywhere, right? So oftentimes the cycle of violence, the cycle of hatred and evil is perpetuated because the powerless get tired of being the victim. Does that make sense? You get tired of being pushed down and you find a way to get power. And when you do, what happens then? They unleash their frustration and fury on those who have hurt them. That happens all the time. We see racism in the same way. We see people who rise up because they have been attacked racially, but then rise up and then they want to treat people who have hurt them poorly. We see that in genocides. We see that in wars. We see that in cultures everywhere. That is the way that it works. All of our prejudices, all of our stereotypes, all of our frustrations, they come out in full force with either blindly or intentionally, we lash out on other people, and we use the same systems against one another. And Jesus comes along, and he says, no, 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 that's not how I do things. That's what I love about Jesus, is that he says, this is the cycle of the world. Remember what we said back in the beginning, how everything is about this idea of, of the world is broken, and the reason it's broken is because of that, that grand design that God created with his not working properly, and now we are refusing to work with him to restore it. But Jesus says, I want to partner with you to bring healing to the world. I want to help bring this healing. I want to restore that back, and I need your help. But you have to stop the cycle. So when we live like Jesus, when someone hurts us, what does he say? He doesn't say punch them back. He says turn the other cheek. He says love your enemies. So he's calling his disciples in his kingdom to do something entirely different. And I think that this movie has a whole lot to say about prejudices, about race relations, about gender, about marginalization, about victimization. I think so much of scripture is about that. He's calling us as Christians to serve the orphan and the widows, to take care of the foreigners, to, and I'm not talking politically, I'm talking about essence, the principles applied as Christians. We are called to love those who cannot help themselves. We are called to be different and that's what we see in this movie is that because of whatever reason that bell girl decided to, to rise up and become the villain, it had to stop somewhere. It has to end somewhere. And that's the beauty of Christianity. 
So there's two main elements of today's message. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. That we all long for the world where predator and prey can live in harmony. We know that things are not the way that they're supposed to be. And we dream for a day when it will all be the way that God intended it to be again. That day is coming and we can work with God to build his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And the second thing is that human ingenuity, the genetic modifications, scientific discoveries, all the knowledge in the world cannot ultimately cure the disease that is in our world today, and that is sin. And even our best attempts can end up causing harm. We've seen that. We cannot bring about the kingdom on our own. We are called to participate with God. Now, I want to look at one more passage of Scripture as we close today, and I think that we're going to see that that reflects is the ending message of Zootopia, but also what looks like the church should be and how we participate in that work with God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 pulls all of this together. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 14 says, A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. Common good. That means that everybody gets to be experiencing this. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. Get in the picture here? God is the God of all, and the same God wants everybody involved. By faith, the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. One and the same Spirit is active in all of these, distributing to each person as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized, we were all brought together, died to ourselves to be raised to life by Jesus as a new creation, as a new people who live a different way, one spirit into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and I might add in our modern context, whether black or white or Latino, whether you're gay or whether you're straight, whether you're, from, uh, whether you're a refugee or you're a native, all of these things, whatever you are, the Bible is very clear that we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. Different races, different genders, different social statuses, different backgrounds, we can either as a church allow those things to create divisions, or we can see that God has given us different experiences and different backgrounds and different gifts for a reason so that we can all serve the common good. Every one of us, we all have a part to play. We all have a part to play, but it starts by recognizing that we are limited. It starts by recognizing that we don't have the ability to fix the problems without God, that we should get involved that we should know our neighbors, that we should serve uh, in our communities, that we should serve at church, that, we, that God has created this mechanism to bring about change and restoration to the world. But don't think that it's you doing it. Just as much as the person who thinks, I can't do anything, that's not true. God has given you strength. He's given you passions. We have surveys today that we just handed out to you that asks you, what are the things that you like to do? What are you good at? Because we want to be a church that unleashes you to do the things that you're good at to serve someone. If you're a cook, guess what? You can cook and that can bless someone and help them know who Jesus is. If you're an artist, you can create art and it does the same thing. Don't try to be someone else. Be who God created you to be and step into the world and use what God has created you to use so that you can reach this world. The world needs the church to be a place where different races and ethnicities and genders and social statuses are not barriers to unity, but an integral part of us functioning properly. The world needs a place where we come together using our gifts to serve the common good and to seek the welfare of the city. 
And that's why he created us as a church. That's why God has us here as a people, as one body, so that we can seek the welfare of those around us. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home, or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.